Father, we do thank you for this precious opportunity that we have to stop. Lord, this is the most important thing that we could be doing with our time, is coming to you, to your word, which you say makes us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Gathering together as a, a body of believers, covenanted around Christ, who is our hope. And so, Lord, I pray that what I preach today would be faithful to your word. And I pray that all those who are here today would faithfully listen. Lord, that we would be willing to submit ourselves to you as you speak in your revelation. Lord, that we would be willing to put aside our priorities for your priorities. That, Lord, we would be willing to submit our will to your will and to do it all in joy Lord, knowing that yours is better. It is greater. It's what we were made for. Remind us of all of that, Lord, as we read this passage, and then, Lord, as we look at what it says. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to John 20. John 20. This morning, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 23. John 20, 19 through 23. We've been reading through the, the, the parts of the resurrection story. Uh, so three weeks ago, we actually looked at the entirety of John 20 all in one sermon, gave an overview, focused in on the resurrection. If you missed that, I'd encourage you to go back, listen to that. Last week, we looked at the story of, of Mary Magdalene at the tomb with Jesus. So we're picking up now uh, with this story here in verse 19. No introduction this week. This week, let's just dive right into the text, beginning in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Okay, we're going to break this down into two sections today. First point this morning, our first section is peace, not fear. Peace, not fear. The title of the sermon is Peace, Not Fear is, a mark of, is the mark of a Christian. Peace, not fear not fear is the mark of a Christian. And so we're going to look at that first here in our section. So here we are, and all the disciples are hiding in a room. And John tells us they were afraid of the Jews. They all saw how Jesus was targeted. Ultimately, from their perspective, I mean, from their perspective, it could feel like the Jews have won, right? Couldn't it? And now the disciples here, they're vulnerable and they know they're vulnerable because everybody knows these are the ones who have been following Jesus around. These are the ones who have been calling themselves his disciples and they've been proud to do it because, you know, they thought nothing could stop Jesus and ultimately he was going to take over everything. And so here they are following him around. They've even gone on missions for Jesus. So these disciples believe that they are at risk from the Jews and so they're hiding in a locked room. And I think we can be sympathetic, and I think we probably should be sympathetic. 
This would be a scary situation. But what does their fear tell us? If we have been reading the whole Gospel of John up until this point, I think their fear tells us two things. One, it tells us they definitely still don't understand what's happening. So while John has been showing us that Jesus is entirely in control of all of these events, and we have seen that throughout in every story, including even his own death, the disciples don't see it that way, and they haven't seen it that way. They are afraid because they are publicly connected to Jesus, and things feel out of control. They could be next. So they're acting like humans do. They're, I mean, they're acting like we would act when we don't have confidence in who Jesus is. I mean, they are acting like we would act. And let's be honest, they're acting like we do act when we forget that Jesus actually is king. And nothing can happen that's beyond his will or his power. So they're doing the same thing that I think many of us can be guilty of doing in our own lives with our own circumstances when we lose sight of who Jesus is. They don't understand what is going on. Their confidence and their peace is totally shaken here because Jesus isn't with them anymore. So they don't understand. That's the first thing. But the second thing is because they don't understand what's going on, we know something else. Their fear tells us they don't understand, and it also tells us they don't have the Holy Spirit yet either. The Spirit is not guiding them yet. Given what we know from John's Gospel I mean, this right here in this moment is a pretty underwhelming picture of Jesus' followers. The, the Lamb of God has been sacrificed. The King has willingly gone to the cross. We know, you and I, we've been reading the book, we know that everything is going according to plan. But it sure doesn't look that way to the disciples. I just want to take a minute here and I just want to encourage all of us we, we are typically, as humans, we are typically desperate to understand what's happening around us. What is happening around us? We're desperate to understand what's happening to us. I need to know. Give me a diagnosis. And isn't it amazing how often sometimes just a diagnosis can make us feel better? Because then we know what's happening. Tell me how long I'm going to deal with this. I can deal with this if I know it's going to last this long or that long. Just let me know, situate me, tell me so that I can understand where I am. I need that. Have you ever felt that way? I think, I think, I mean, generally speaking, I think most of us are born feeling that way. You know, it starts very early in life. Um, Sarah and I used to feel like we were travel guides as soon as we would sit down in the car to go anywhere with the kids. Where are we going? How long till we get there? Okay, where are we going after that? And then after that, what are we doing? What are we doing tonight? What are we eating? How long are we going to be there? Are we going to go there again? Why are we going there? What's, what's this for? And the questions never end until finally you go, just stop it. I'm your parent. Don't you trust me? Do you think I'm going to take you and dump you on the side of the road somewhere? Just relax. I'm telling you we're going to have a good time. So I don't need your 75th question about are we going to take that right turn or get off on this exit? 
I mean, it happens even when we don't have anywhere to go. We wake up on a Saturday morning. What are we doing today? Okay, what are we doing after that? What are we doing after lunch? Are we doing anything for dinner? Are we going anywhere? Hey, are we watching something tonight? It never ends. It never ends. But don't we do the same thing even as we grow up? How long is this going to last? Why am I going through this? Is this going to end? What am I going to do next? What's going to happen after this? Oh, man, I'll be so much better once I get married. Oh, dang, once I get married, it wasn't any better. I'll be, it'll be so much better when I have kids. Oh, dang, I had kids. It's not any better. Maybe it'll be better once I retire. We just, it never stops. We want to know exactly where we are. We want to feel like we're in control. We don't like mystery like that. And so here in John, we get this unique opportunity to know more than the people who are living through this, right? We are peeking in to one moment in history. Just imagine we're a giant. We've stopped the flow of time. We've come down over this house where they're at. We've been able to open up and we're able to look in to this one moment in time where these disciples are all hiding in this locked room. But you and I know more than they do, don't we? We know what has happened before. We know things that they don't know. And we know the future, don't we? We know what's going to happen after this. There's no mystery for us in this moment, but it's just the opposite for the disciples. So we're able to look, and you know, if it were possible, if it were possible for us to just step into the story for just a moment, what would we say to these disciples in this room? Hey guys, y'all really don't need to worry. You really don't at all. It's going to be okay. I, I can tell you who Jesus is. There's no mystery for us. And, and yet, guys, even though we may not know exactly what God is up to in our lives today, and God may not be answering our questions about how long is this going to last? Why am I going? What's happening next? What's going to come? Is this going to happen? We ought to know, even just from Scripture here, and even just from this story, you and I ought to be able to know we can trust God with what's happening. We can trust Him. He knows how long it's lasting. He knows what's coming next. He knows what he's doing. And in the same way, I just want to tell my children, it's ridiculous that you guys need to know every minute of today. Trust me as your father that I know where I'm taking you. There's a parallel for us. Trust God as our father. We can see the disciples here. And I, I think you and I should take this as a challenge to us that we know we can respond differently with faith, with trust. And so we see the fearful disciples here, and what do we see? We see Jesus come into the locked room. And look at the first words that he says here. Wow, you guys really let me down. You're afraid, really? That's not what he says. He says, peace 
be with you. First words he says when he comes into the room. That's a pretty common greeting, all things considered. But John emphasizes it for us by telling us Jesus said it when he came in, and then he said it again after he showed him his physical wounds from the crucifixion. He said it twice. He emphasized it. There's something, and of course we know John. We know John's working on levels. There is something to these words from Jesus. So if you would, turn back a couple of chapters to John 14, 27. John 14, 27. Because sure enough, John is doing something here with this story. Because we, if you remember, several months ago, we've t- we talked about peace before. And we started talking about it here in chapter 14, verse 27, where Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. It's almost like Jesus knew what was coming for his disciples. He tells them, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Why? Because He is giving them His peace. Do you you see the emphasis here on His peace that He is giving? What are you and I to do when when our hearts are tempted to be fearful and troubled? Trust in Him and what He has done, who He has made us. What a beautiful word, peace. No conflict, no turmoil. It's a word that implies rest, ease. And of course, living in this world is nothing but conflict, right? I mean, there's conflict everywhere. There's conflict just to live in this world. Even right down to each one of our own individual hearts, there's conflict. As Paul put it in Romans 7, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. There's conflict all the way down even into our very hearts. It's just a description of living in the world. And there is no peace. There is no peace in this world unless you simply just give yourself over to the world entirely. You let yourself just be completely conformed to the world. You just go along with it. But even then, there's always the reality that that doesn't actually work because you're still going to die. It's still going to be meaningless. No, the reality is that we are living a life in a fallen world in conflict with ourselves, but ultimately in conflict with the Creator Himself. In conflict with how He has made us, how He has designed us, what He made us for. And so there is conflict all the way down. But Jesus comes in here and He offers and promises peace. He promises a peace that passes our understanding. And He tells the disciples that He's going to give them this peace. And He says, so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Which is telling. They they would, if He says don't be afraid, then they're going to find themselves in situations that are fearful. And here they are, and they're in their locked room, and they don't have peace. They are afraid. They didn't listen to Him. They haven't obeyed His command here. So now flip over a couple pages to John 16.33. John 16.33. And here, Jesus brings up this notion of peace 
again in this world. And these are, these are some of the last things that he's saying. He's wrapping up his words to his followers before he prays to the Father and then goes to the cross. And so here in John 16, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So here's another call for them to have peace, for them to take heart, which is a, a simil- take heart similar to don't let your hearts be troubled. Again, notice here that the peace that Jesus is talking about, it's a peace that's going to be present in tribulation. That's super important. He says, in me you'll have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. He says, don't be afraid. And the reason he says that is because there are going to be fearful things where you are going to have to choose, am I going to be afraid or am I going to choose peace in Christ? So notice here that this peace happens in trials. And yet, he says, you can have peace. So often, what I want us to see this morning is so often, you and I, we connect peace to our circumstances. We connect peace to our circumstances. When you're going through some kind of tribulation, you don't have any peace. When things are great, that's when we have peace. This is how we operate. When things are going the way I want them to go, I'm at peace. When my situation is working for my benefit, I'm at peace. When I have the time and the resources and the health to be able to relax, I have peace. It's just how we operate. We connect our peace to our circumstances. But do you see that Jesus is challenging that way of living? That way of thinking about the trials you go through. If what Jesus is saying is correct, then your peace as a Christ follower is not connected to your circumstances. Let me say that again. If what Jesus is saying is correct, then your peace as a Christ follower is not connected to your circumstances. That is not how God sees our peace. Are you sitting here, though, and you're thinking, I have no peace because of this thing that's happening to me. I have no peace because of this thing that I am going through. The challenge for us is to rethink our understanding of peace in this world. It's not connected to our circumstances. It is connected to our relationship to Jesus Christ. Which means we also have to rethink not just our understanding of peace, but we have to rethink our understanding of reality. We have to rethink our understanding of what are we doing here in this moment. And we've talked about this before. What are we doing here? Why are we here? We're here to bring glory to God. We are here to live in faith. Trusting Him. We are here to be His messengers as we saw last week. So I would encourage you 
you might need to challenge your understanding of peace in this life if it is connected to your circumstances. And, I will, and if you're saying, I would not be able to have peace as long as this is happening or until this happens, then those circumstances are bigger than Christ. Those circumstances are larger than your relationship to the Lord. The disciples here are afraid. Their peace is directly connected to their circumstances. And we can sympathize. We should sympathize. But we shouldn't accept that when we find ourselves connecting our peace to our circumstances. Jesus is enough for us in every circumstance. When we say, your will be done, not mine, we can't get mad at Jesus when he takes that seriously. Right? And he says, okay, then your will isn't going to be done. But how often would we say, your will, your will be done, but what we mean is, this plan that I've already planned out, Jesus, that's obviously good enough to be your will. So let's do that. But when we say your will be done and he goes, Shoop, then your plans are shot because they're not my plans. Well, if our peace is connected to our circumstances, then we just lost our peace. But if our peace is connected to Christ, you're not ever going to lose that no matter what your circumstances are. If the most important thing to you every day is living in relationship to Jesus Christ, you're never going to lose that. It's never going to be taken away from you. And so Jesus comes in and he says, peace be with you. Make sure, again, just make sure you see his patience and his compassion here. The disciples are directly disobeying. <laughs> his call from chapters 14 and 16 about peace. They're not doing it. They're sitting here afraid, which is exactly what he said, don't do that. And yet he comes in and he says, peace be with you. Leon Morris sums up a very hopeful truth for you and me. He says, after their forsaking Jesus at the time of the arrest, the disciples may well have expected rebuke or blame Instead, Jesus pronounces peace on them. And not just that. Jesus patiently shows them why the circumstances they are in are not what they think they are. He shows them His body. He shows them His scars. He shows them the reality that He's not a ghost. He's not a vision. He's the resurrected Jesus in the flesh. Their circumstances are not what they think they are. This is Jesus Christ, the Lord, in the flesh, in front of them. Death did not hold Him. If death did not hold Him, then there's no limit to what He might be able to do. This is God. And we're going to see that very clearly here in just a moment. This is God standing in front of them in the flesh. And he so patiently shows them that and then says again, peace be with you. This repeated statement from Jesus, it's a declaration of victory. He has brought them 
peace. He's done it. And never again can that peace be taken from them. Death was defeated. The conflict for Christians is over. We are right with God. We have a hope that determines why we're here in this life and it determines where we're going. We have a hope that lasts for all of eternity. It's right here. Peace has been won. Think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul doesn't stop there. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He has won us peace. He has given us an identity in Him. We are, we are children of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. We know why we're here and we know why we will be one day with God Because Jesus brought peace, Paul rightly immediately makes the connection for Christians. Therefore, because Jesus won that victory, how would you live now? Should we live in fear? Should we be overwhelmed by our circumstances? No, we shouldn't. We should be steadfast. We should be immovable. We should be abounding always in the work of the Lord. Jesus brought peace for his disciples. And that peace permeates our whole life and it affects how we live. And that peace makes us steadfast, immovable, and abounding in the work of the Lord. Again, God may define the terms of that work, not us. I was talking with somebody this week, and I've told this story before from the pulpit, um, but uh, many of you probably haven't heard it. I was talking to somebody this week who was struggling with, with sickness, and, uh, and I myself have been struggling the last few months and just wrestling with it. And a lot of us, frankly, in this, this room have been struggling with health. And I was reminded of uh, uh, a dear friend and a man that I know um, when Sarah and I were living in Louisville, um, we met him. He came to seminary to um, become a pastor. He was in his 50s. He'd been a very, very, very successful businessman. Uh, he, he had been the CFO of, of numerous large companies, and he decided that he was going to step out of that, and he was going to go into the ministry. He was going to become a pastor. He was going to serve the church. And so he came to, to go to seminary, and almost immediately, within the first few months of being there, um, he was diagnosed with this disease, and I, I couldn't tell you what it is. It's like 0.001 people in the world ever get this disease. Um, totally degenerative. Within months, he was homebound in a wheelchair, and he has been that way for over a decade. Well over a decade. He has lost 
almost all of his ability to get out and to function. And so this is a very godly man. He'd been a, he had been a, a lay elder in, in, a, in a wonderful church, um, just very engaged in church, and just what a blessing, what a gift he would have been as a pastor. And so he was in our church, and we had this, uh, we had this um, internship that, that you could do that was very involved in, in following along with pastors and learning what pastors do. And so I, I did this internship, and once a week we would go to this guy's house and we would, just, we would just talk with him. We would do like little Bible studies. And I remember the first time that we went there, um, and this was really one of the first times I got to spend time with him. Uh, there were four of us uh, there with him and we were just talking and, and somebody said, hey, maybe you, you would, this would be helpful because you've been on, on both sides of this situation. You, you have been a, a lay elder, you've pastored and shepherded in a church and now you're basically homebound and, and you basically can't leave. And they said, so maybe you could give us just some insight into how we could better comfort and counsel those that are, you know, going through these kinds of sicknesses or those that, you know, in the middle of their life when they're perfectly strong and healthy, lost all ability. Maybe you could give us some counsel. And I'll never forget what he said because he said, I really don't know what to tell you about that at all because I've never struggled with this. He said, I don't struggle with it. He said, from the moment this happened, he said, you know, would I like to be doing something else? Sure. He said, but from the moment this happened, my immediate response was, okay, well, this is how I glorify God now. I think that's wonderful. And, and he has shown that to be true. I think that's an example of saying your will be done, having a wonderful idea for what that will could be. I mean, being a pastor in a church. And when God says no, saying, okay, well, this is how I glorify you now. So often we mistake our will for being the only way that we can glorify God. But I think of Paul when Paul asks for the thorn to be removed. And what does Jesus say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. Peace comes through Christ. If he determines the circumstances, peace can still be found in them if we are pursuing Christ. If we're pursuing our own goals, then yeah, peace is always going to be just around the corner and just after the next thing. But if we're pursuing Christ, then nothing can take that from us. This is what comes from living close to Jesus, relying on him. So the disciples here, they're glad. Jesus repeats the statement, peace be with you. Don't be afraid. This is a new reality. All other circumstances are temporary. Even the worst of tribulations these men are going to go through, and they're going to go through some tribulations, they're just temporary. They're not eternal. Death is going to end all of those trials. But the peace of Jesus gives hope that we have a blessed and glorious life that goes beyond this one. It gives us perspective that we desperately need. We get perspective on what's important to us. You know, so many material things, they destroy our peace because we don't have them, because we want them desperately, because somebody else has the things that we want. Because we lost what we had, we can't keep what we had. We've connected our 
peaceful feelings to what we have or we don't have. But the peace of Jesus is so fundamentally different because the peace of Jesus is life. Life itself. So what happens with the peace of Jesus? What do we do with it? So peace, not fear. In our second major section of the story, with that peace, the disciples are sent. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So now that they have peace, what are they to do? They are to go. And Jesus connects his mission to their mission. Just as God sent him, they're now being sent. I made a similar point last week, if you remember. Jesus sent Mary to the disciples. We're seeing this massive shift here in God's working on earth. It's going to be through the followers of Jesus that God is going to work. Could Jesus have gone to the disciples himself at that moment instead of sending Mary? Absolutely, he could have. Easy. Why did he send Mary? I think it's signaling for us a shift in the work of Christ to his followers. There's a lot I wanted to say, but I think I'm going to just end right here. We are sent with the peace of Christ for Christ's sake to share the peace of Christ. We're going to come back next week. We'll pick up and we'll look at this mysterious passage about forgiving and not forgiving then. But I want you to think about this. These disciples would go from here in this moment. And what would they do? They'd proclaim Christ. Life in Christ. Peace in Christ, the forgiveness of sins. Our training teachers class that we're doing here um, at church, we've been reading through Christopher Ashe's book, The Priority of Preaching. And in that book, he walks through Moses' sermon in the book of Deuteronomy. And he points out that Moses believed that hearing the law of God and hearing his word demanded a response from those who heard. And isn't it the same with the gospel message? It demands a response from those who hear. And that response determines whether or not you are forgiven. That response determines whether or not you find peace. So these men here in John 20 and all of their descendants, which include you and I, we have an awesome stewardship when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Moses said in Deuteronomy 30, starting in 17. He said, but if your hearts turn away... And you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, holding fast to Him, for He is your life 
and your length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Jesus says that Moses preached about him. And in this section, you see the foreshadowing of what Christ accomplished. When he says, therefore, choose life, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and your length of days. Therefore, choose life. That's the call of Moses the prophet. And in the gospel, don't we say the same thing? Here is Jesus, the Son of God. Let me tell you about him. Let's read John's gospel and see him. Let's look at Paul who tells us all about him. Let me tell you about his forgiveness. Let me tell you about how he brings peace to us. Because if we reject him, if we reject him, we will die in our sins. And we will carry that guilt with us when we stand before God himself and are judged and are condemned. But that's only if you reject Jesus. Choose Life. Christopher Ash points out that the preacher in his sermon says to his listeners, and I would say the Christian, with your words, with your life, with the things that you say to those around you, we say, I set before you life and death. Don't get distracted by the material things of this world. Don't get distracted by the circumstances. Here we strip it all away. I set before you life and death. Forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God is life. And with that life comes peace. In our passage today, we could even frame it different for us as Christians. The disciples, much like the Israelites in the Old Testament, couldn't live out the command of God to be at peace and not be afraid. They chose fear. They chose fear because they chose themselves and their circumstances over Christ. Let's be clear about that. Christian, are you choosing fear? Or are you choosing Christ? Are you choosing peace in Christ? And, and by that I mean each and every day and every decision that you make. Get out of bed, sleep in. Respond in anger or try and reconcile. Hold on to hurt or forgive. Try and control somebody or build them up. Try and demand that my circumstances be this way or trust God with what he's doing. Are you choosing fear or are you choosing Christ? Christian, do you see what Christ has done for you? Do you see what he has made you? Do you see what he has promised you? Choose Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your patience and your love. We thank you for your patience with your disciples in this story. You show us, Lord, that you truly are compassionate and loving. And Father, we thank you for your patience with us. But Lord, I pray that we would we would see clearly that the, the very bedrock foundation of our lives have to be Jesus Christ. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
Father, I pray that we would choose to trust in Christ, choose peace. Lord, I pray that we would trust in you. You are the one who gives us strength. And we'll look next week and we'll see the promise of the Spirit, the power that you give to your, your, your followers, Lord. We are able. When we are in Christ, we are able to be at peace. Help us, Father, to do nothing but cling to Christ in everything, to glorify him in everything, to make all our decisions saying, what would bring glory to the Lord and make me more like my Savior? Help us, Father. In Christ's name, amen.